On our last episode, Chirag Virani, co-founder of Sparkle, discussed how much potential for growth there is for producers of period products in the India market. But all of that potential doesn't come without challenges. There are still cultural challenges with stigma around menstruation, challenges with menstrual inequity, and even gender biases faced by founders and others in the industry, which can make growing and succeeding in the market more difficult. And you can't overcome those challenges without knowing what they are. So luckily, Bostic is here to help. Welcome to Attached to Hygiene, the podcast that enables you to grow your knowledge and influence in the absorbent hygiene industry. My name is Jack Hughes, and my mission is to help you, the absorbent hygiene article producer, design and produce the best possible products to meet the needs of your customers. On today's episode, we're continuing our conversation with Chirag Virani. Over the next 45 minutes, He'll share what challenges he has seen menstruators have to face when it comes to education, menstrual equity, and the stigma around menstruation, and how companies can help menstruators overcome those challenges. And he'll also share some of the gender biases he has faced as a male founder and how he's overcome them himself so he can continue to help menstruators get access to the information and products they need to manage their periods. So... One thing that I heard and read is a challenge for some menstruators in India is is the safe and discreet disposal of their period products or their used period products. And I'm curious, what have you seen and learned about the disposal of products as you've been working in the industry over the last few years and as you've begun to create your own products that, you know, eventually need to be disposed of themselves? So what uh, it's coming down to right now is, you know, when we also talk about our products as well to the consumers, you know, we're not just talking about the product being biodegradable. It has these many health benefits, but also we are educating them about uh, uh, what will happen to the product at the end of its life cycle. You know, so, for example, you know, when we look at India or even in that manner, you know, in any developed country, uh, the US or the UK, it's pretty much it's divided into two to three segments. So if at the end of uh, its life cycle, the used pad is most likely going to end up in landfill through solid waste management system, or it might be incinerated. And in some rural uh, parts where there is a lack of infrastructure of proper segregation collection in India, uh, sometimes it's uh, buried in the in, in the soil or uh, it is flushed down the toilet or uh, pretty much disposed out in the open. So when we're looking at the, uh, you know, what happens to the product after uh, it's being used, and we're talking about, uh, you know, hundreds of hundreds of thousands of tons of uh, waste. Uh, so we focus on what happens to the product at the end of its life cycle. So for that, like we have done a lot of studies of how it will behave in landfill. So landfill biodegradation studies, we have done a couple of studies in Europe. So we are educating the customer, you know, like compared to something that will stay in landfill for 500 to 600 years, that has a lot of plastic in it. When the product has a lot of bio-based material or cellulose-based product, it will, even if it ends up in landfill, it will biodegrade at a much faster rate. At the same time, you know, what happens to the product when it's incinerated, you know, so in, in some other areas where, uh, in India, there are some small-scale incinerator or, or even uh, just uh, burning the pad. You know, when you burn something that has a lot of, uh, you know, petrochemical byproducts or, or fragrances or chemicals, it, it re- results in, in, in a lot of uh, toxic fumes. So we actually did a couple of studies from independent labs as well that what happens to, well if you burn it, let's say, at a room temperature versus if it ends up in a proper incinerator. What type of fumes, what type of gas that will be generated versus when you, you know, burn a sustainable products. And then the difference is it was in, like, you know, 
a huge percent. Like it came to some like if you talk about methane, you know, it was some 700 percent more methane was generated when you burn a pad, you know, in an incinerator. So there's a lot of uh, uh, you know awareness that we are trying to spread about you know what happens to the product at the end of its life cycle, and we need to as a manufacturer, as raw material you know developer or manufacturer as well. We are. I think we should also look at not just the performance of the product uh, while it's being used, but what will happen at the end of its life cycle, right? And that is where a lot of uh, regulations are coming into place with single plastic, uh, single use plastic initiative in India as well, uh, as well as Europe is leading the way and the US also, there is a many, uh, many regulations that, that are, I think, still under, underway, but at least the world is going towards a direction where uh, the, these products might, or some of the components might fall into that uh, single use plastic initiative. At least uh, we need to uh, look at as industry as a whole, you know, how we can uh, reduce the our dependence on fossil fuel based resources and then also how we can reduce the amount of waste that we generate and, and that goes into the landfill. I would definitely say that is the uh, the big challenge facing the industry. I mean, no one would argue that the products that the industry creates, whether they're plastic or sustainable, have have a benefit to end users, whether they be menstruators or you know baby diapers, even adult and condensed products. And obviously, plastics is is the easiest, and most convenient way to make those. And from a performance standpoint, they perform very well. But long term, not the most friendly products for the environment, regardless of how you're disposing of them. So yeah, definitely the big challenge that we're facing. And um, like I said, I think it's it's good that even some of the countries that aren't as, or markets that aren't as mature have that in mind. And mm -hmm. I think like so a lot of that goes to that consumer awareness that brands are doing, um, mm -hmm. even, you know, influencers and, and people on, on different social media platforms that are talking about it. And it's raising the awareness level and the kind of the education level of menstruators everywhere to understand those topics a little better and demand those types of products and mm -hmm. um, definitely see it moving in that direction. And you alluded to this earlier, but, you know, as those those raw materials that are going into those sustainable products become more affordable because mm -hmm. more consumers are demanding them and therefore more producers are demanding them, then those prices can come down and can compete with some of these more affordable fossil fuel based products. and and um, you know, really kind of change up the market a little bit. It's it's definitely like a chain reaction, you know. Like as as more consumer demand for it, as you mentioned, you know. So so that is where we are uh, placing a thirty year plan, you know. So we are not only focusing. So we are actually investing heavily and working very, uh, you know, hard about developing the new products that are also affordable. And then uh, down the line, you know, we are also planning to also establish fully vertically integrated supply chain. So. We will be also expanding into raw material manufacturing as well, because this is one of the ways you can uh, make the product more affordable as well. When you have the uh, control over the raw material, the availability, the accessibility and uh, looking at the other side of it, the disposal side of it, because when you create a biodegradable and, and compostable and actually home compostable product, what we are trying to you know, work towards is uh, having a separate infrastructure or at least uh, a disposal mechanism so for that we've actually also introduced a green cycle program which was a pilot that we in the same city where the plant is located and uh, so it is about uh, making sure that the biodegradable compostable product actually get composted so we have a, a composter we have a you know so we it's a collection program where uh, slowly building infrastructure we're trying to collaborate with uh, people who have composting facilities and uh, uh, you know adding that small portion for the 
composting of uh, products that contain bodily fluids. So, you know, so once we have basic infrastructure for sanitary pads, we are also going to introduce baby diapers in the future. So this infrastructure can then be used for uh, not just, uh, uh, you know, collection, but also composting of product. And actually we have, uh, we took a lot of surveys before we started the pro uh, this program. And uh, a lot of consumers are actually those who believe in sustainability, they're willing to pay as much as the product, you know, like you make sure you dispose it properly, you know, because these people are the leaders of this segment. And uh, we clearly wrote down a question, you know, like, uh, so we'll have, uh, when you pick up a request, you know, just like you return a box in, uh, on Amazon, you know, so that uh, we'll have uh, uh, our logistics partner will come pick it up in a box and then we'll make sure it's properly disposed, uh, properly uh, composted. So this is like a, it's a very pilot stage. We, uh, we've got an amazing response and there is more people inquiring about, okay, well, I want to be, you know, involved in this, in this uh, program as well. So we're trying to, from our own city, we're trying to also working towards how we can amplify this. Uh, and if countries like in India, if, if people are trying to do this, you know, if companies are trying to do this, if consumers are accepting this, then I think it's much easier to implement it in different countries where consumer is much more aware and, uh, uh, you know more educated so like what we're trying to do is set an example of what uh, a company in sustainable uh, a space can actually do you know not just focusing on the ingredients but also the disposal of it and then uh, how to connect the, the dots between the raw material versus uh, you know things ending up actually in landfill or trying to not uh, trying to make sure that it doesn't end up in landfill or incinerators yeah that's i mean that's great to hear it's great that that you're seeing that demand that you know offering this this option, this this program is taken off. And uh, yeah, I mean, to me, I think it'd be great if, if you see examples of this coming from from a market like India and, you know, allowing them to kind of lead the way. I know that's from, you know, being connected with people on LinkedIn and in India, like that's that's what people in India want. They want to be leading the way they want. What I've seen, there's high, high expectations for India as a country and as a people. And I, I think that, you know, certainly something like this is a is a way for, for India to lead the way on things like that. Let's hope so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to transition from kind of the sustainability side of things and, and to something that you, you've touched on a little bit already in some of the, the education and even some of the, the stigma around menstruation in, in India. And was wondering if you could just kind of share a bit about that, particularly from, from the menstruator's perspective, but also from like the non-menstruator's you know, male perspective particularly as a founder in the, in the industry who is, who is male and cannot or does not menstruate. And so there's, there's yeah. a different perspective there. And so we could touch on both of those and some of the challenges faced in the market. Sure. There, there's been uh, uh, many instances. So I'll, I'll try to pick and choose the stories that uh, pretty much capture the, uh, you know, and, and again, see, there are those who are, uh, how shall I put it politely, unique in their way, you know? So, and then there are like, I, I don't speak for everybody, but there have been many challenges, you know, it's, so uh, if we look at just uh, uh, one small example, you know, of uh, when uh, pretty much when we go for, uh, uh, you know, like NGO donation or awareness, it's usually, uh, you know, a, a male contributors or male founders or doctors, like usually, like if, even if I go to a campaign or it's usually asked to stand outside. And I understand, I mean, they're more comfortable, uh, but what I saw from, you know, like just, uh, and this is one of the, a very deep memories that you you get you know like you're looking uh, at the awareness uh, uh, seminar happening like you know i'm sitting outside i can see what's happening inside the window but uh, like i can i cannot listen but i can see and uh, there are a lot of young girls you know like i'm uh, barely in uh, grade 11 12 and then 
they are just sitting there looking at the floor you know like not even making eye contact with the with the gynecologist or talking so we're we're looking at the scenario where uh, they already feel that if they're even talking about this it's something wrong you know they're doing something wrong just by even openly talking about it so this is uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done uh, especially being awareness and then uh, there was one more uh, uh initiative that we wanted to do is uh, you know like a class of 60 girls and we wanted the gynec to actually you know talk to ask them if they have any questions you know just raise your hand or we even uh, they even passed a piece of paper and still like if they wanted to write down the question if they are not uh, comfortable raising their hand but still not a single question came you know so it's still like people if they are they have many questions and what we realized that after that after the session ended the gynecologist came out and they said listen i know they have a lot of questions because i can see they want to ask but they're still hesitant so what we had to do is we actually went into a separate room where just like uh, there was a table and chair where the gynec was sitting and then one by one you know a, a girl would walk in and then the, then there was a number of questions that came in and there's one or two girls that actually needed uh, some serious medical help you know because the they just didn't know how to deal with it or what who to talk to so now now from now on every time we do a seminar at least this is a learning curve you know like we like for us we just went there to try to do what we can but as you go you learn that you know how to actually try to do it the best possible way without making sure that you know like they are comfortable and then they are so every time we go for the next one now we know that there is we need to have a private room and then that's where they'll open up and talk about these if they are ex- experiencing any any symptoms or if they want to talk about a few things that they are not comfortable talking to the teachers or or the uh, the orphanage or, or the ngo manager so this is one of the things and then uh, another shocking thing that was uh, i found was you know and this is not nothing to do with india this is uh, in general you know like being a male in the in the industry and this is i'm talking about in the us so we're talking about a very mature market uh, in a very high profile uh, exhibition and investor seminar and uh, we were it was me and uh, uh, my founder and i was I, see uh, when i look at the when i present the company i'm more like the talker she's into numbers i'm more into talking and then uh, and we were pitching our company like we were talking about 2019 and we're pitching it to the investor and then i'm doing all the talking and then uh, the investor is like why isn't she talking you know and i was like it's it's just uh, how we work you know like if you give her a spreadsheet show you what she can do you know so i i'm more of a words guy you know so and then she's like if she was talking like if she was presenting i'd be throwing my money at you you know so this is the mindset that we are looking at even from the uh, you know it it gives you the snapshot of what the mindset is and and when i mentioned in the beginning i don't generalize this is this was one of those scenarios where it it pretty much shows you know there's a lot of work that needs to be done so it's uh, it's not just like being a male you are not obviously i cannot physically uh, i'm not capable of experiencing menstruation but at least i'm trying to do what uh, i can you know like uh, uh, one of the another uh, similar to that scenario was also like i i had to defend myself you know that i'm making this product i'm not trying to so th- there's another girl that is like you don't get period like how can you feel what i feel you know and then i say i'm not capable physically but like i'm trying to develop i understand i'm a technical guy i understand the fluid mechanics i understand the layers i understand how the porous mat- matrix of cellulose fiber work i understand how to you know take the fluid from the center to how to distribute it properly uh, this is so or as an engineer what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to develop a better product for my wife for everybody you know like because i started when like my wife was my first sort of uh, i shouldn't say guinea pig but like i used to i would build a product you know this design this uh, layers and then she would just like okay no no it needs improvement here needs improvement here so like it started as me trying to do something to solve a problem you know and then if more people can take advantage of it like i 
I, I hope I don't have to defend, you know, like I'm not trying to mansplain something to you that uh, it's it's not my intention. I'm I'm just trying to do what I think that needs to be done, whether it's by done by a guy or a girl, like, you know, non-menstruator, menstruator. It's a problem that needs to be addressed. And that is what I'm doing, whether I'm a, I'm a male, female, non-menstruator, non-menstruator. So sort of like these things that still pinch you, but it keeps things real as well for you. Like there's, you need to keep pushing because there's a long way to go. And this is just not in India. Like it, it some portion of period poverty, period awareness exists in every country, you know, whether uh, it's, it's the US or the UK, but uh, like in India still, there is a lot of uh, work to be done from the accessibility point of view. But uh, overall, like uh, globally, uh, there is a still uh, a lot of work that we need to do just to break the stigma around the subject. Yeah, yeah, definitely a, a lot of work to do. And as you said, this is not a, an India problem. It's not even a developing market problem. It's a it's a global problem, yeah. you know, breaking the, the stigma around periods and, you know, making people comfortable talking about them. And through the some of the work that I've done, you know, earlier this year, we had several episodes on on the same topic, menstrual health. And so that's got me more involved. And you still see, you know, I've been connected to a lot of people primarily women, you know, menstruators that that are, you know, big advocates and are becoming more comfortable talking about this stuff. And you still see, you know, in, in the US or Europe, mainly men, but also women kind of shaming maybe is too strong, but you know, that, that they're talking about this on a platform like LinkedIn. And you know, but mm -hmm. it's it's a daily problem. You know, if you can talk about something like mental health in public, yeah. you should be able to talk about periods in public, as you said earlier, it's a very natural bodily process. And, yeah. you know, we should be able to talk about it without it being, you know, too taboo. And it, particularly because there are so many health implications from it. So, definitely. and I, yeah. I definitely feel for you on the, we're not menstruators. We can never know what that's going to feel yeah. like. And, and certainly, you know, someone who has menstruated, they have a, a perspective that is obviously incredibly valid and they can help relate and and as you said your wife was giving you feedback on products and you need that you have to, you yeah, have to course, have yeah, definitely but, but just you know to me as you were saying that it's like you know just because a different topic but you know just because someone has never had cancer doesn't mean they can't help you yeah, know like some you know people who do have cancer you know it's about wanting to help solve a problem and and having the motivation and and resources to do so even if you don't necessarily have the experience yeah. of the product no no definitely it's like we do what we can with the best of our abilities you know like it's it comes to a point where uh, it makes you think like what more do you want from me you know like <laughs> you try to do everything you can you know you're trying to make a sustainable product then you have to still defend yourself like i'm not trying to the mindset that you know another man trying to tell me something what to do what not to do and this, this is the the mindset that uh, i'm not not the most uh, it's the biggest challenge but it, it is there like you know small portion of and i'm not complaining but it is something that you experience in this industry yeah yeah absolutely and I'm, I'm curious you so you mentioned towards the beginning of the answer that you ran into the issue with definitely a lot of um shame is a strong word but embarrassment if you will you know the young girls young menstruators didn't want to talk about it unless they were kind of in that one-on-one -on -one situation i'm curious if you've mainly seen that in more of the rural areas or do you still see that in urban areas as well yeah no no so the the example or the the story that i've used from was actually from one of the uh, seminars that we did in the rural areas so in rural areas it's it's much stronger but that doesn't mean that you know in urban areas it, it doesn't exist like our closest friend is not allowed to enter kitchen like even like and she they are like uh, they have 
they traveled the world, you know, like this. But it's the cultural mindset, you know. So because her mom was uh, not allowed to enter in the kitchen during her period, so she's not allowed to enter in the kitchen because there is a superstition that the food will go bad if you touch it. So I mean, there is no justification to these things, but they still exist, and it's not just in rural area. Like in in there are crazy things that you know, as a guy, like I would never even think about these things. Like you're not supposed to wash your hair. This is the things that I've uh, heard, you know, like. So there are uh, some other ridiculous things that I don't I don't want to you know hurt somebody's feelings uh, if they believe it they they are free to believe what they want to believe but it, because of that it is actually uh, causing a lot of stigma people are not talking about this you know even in urban areas so the one of the most extreme ones I heard and there was like what like husband and wife if wife is menstruating she is supposed to sleep in the other room and I was like are you crazy what type of logic does it you know so this is yeah. it, it just you know, uh, you just you don't you don't know what to say to that. You know, so this and it's reality. I'm not making this up. Like this is I, I've heard people say this. So it, and this is not we're talking about somebody with master's degree. Like they are well educated. They are. It's just this is how they've been brought up. And uh, it is somebody has to actually take a bold stand and then just I'm not going to do this anymore. You know. So this is this is yeah. nonsense. So th- this is sort of a mentality. And and it's good that the young, uh, uh, you know, like especially millennials, Gen Z. They don't care. So this is what we like about the, uh, you know, the younger generation that are more influenced by the the Western culture. They're all on Netflix, you know, they like. So they they understand, you know, like it's uh, something has been done for hundreds of years. doesn't necessarily mean that you need to keep doing this. So uh, these are the people who resonate, uh, uh, you know, they appreciate and we get some amazing messages, you know, that we really love what you do. So this is sort of a boost. And this is uh, somebody like, you know, in, in eighth grade or ninth grade, like she, for her, it was just sharing her thought. But for us, it's like, it's a huge uh, boost, you know, like if, if young people are uh, thinking this way, it's it's a positive sign for the whole humanity, you know, like this is where the direction of the next generation is going in the mindset. So this is sort of, uh, that's what I uh, said in the earlier, you know, the direction in which we're going in is optimistic because we are experiencing it on day-to-day basis because it's not that somebody, uh, you know, an elder generation or somebody, like I understand, you know, that for them to accept something new would have to have a lot of mental barrier. But for somebody who is younger, they are more open to changes. And these are the people who are actually leading the way in sustainable space. Yeah, absolutely true there that that this, you know, this particularly Gen Z, but millennials as well, and give millennials credit as well, that, um, <laughs> you know, there we are the ones leading the way, which is which is great. Um, but yeah, to your point on still some of the taboos and stigmas, it's, it's some of those cultural challenges that are just hard to overcome and hard to get past in it. You know, you yeah, sometimes shake your head. You're, There's no logic it's, behind it. It's just, yeah. It's confusing, but it's, again, as, as a brand, um, you know, it's one of those things you have to kind of, figure out how to either work around or hopefully push past. Yeah, it's crazy, but it, yeah, it just is. Like it is said, what it is. You know, you'll have to uh, find a way to deal with everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just the, the stuff that's ingrained in, in you know, tradition and culture and, and families are used to it. And, you know, change is hard. Change, change is hard. Definitely. So, and you you alluded to this a bit and I'm, I'm curious. So with, I guess I could say primarily the, the urban population, but, I guess any any of the population in India that that has pretty easy access to the internet, are we seeing a, a big shift there as far as being willing to at least, if not in person, at least talk about periods or product feedback and stuff online, and whether it be on forums or leaving reviews on Amazon, is that is that a big driver with the the portion of the population that has internet access? 
it's it's a challenge you know it's again like you know having your name with the product is still like people will accept like on amazon and on online channels we we face similar challenges like people will buy the product but getting the review or even requesting them to uh, post a review is is a challenge you know because it again it triggers that uh, similar uh, you know the the taboos and the cultural stigma so talking about this openly uh, i've seen many brands in the us uh, they're opening communities you know like uh, it's like an online space they're creating for the people to uh, discuss in uh, uh, conversation and engage in uh, you know ways about talking about health talking about everything so in india it's still uh, a very early stage and what we are trying to do uh, and uh, uh, being on this podcast for that manner you know is one of the things that we will be doing or something very similar so we are also focusing on creating a lot of visual content as we grow so that is more about uh, just like how we are talking you know like both the founders will be talking about uh, just the product itself or or just menstruation like or sustainability or uh, uh, different topics that uh, not directly so the the focus of like you know in the future in the next couple of quarters like our our marketing strategy is also very uh, unique like rather than focusing more on the just the sales 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 we are actually focusing on you know product awareness product user what are the ingredients what are the different layers i mean not all customers care uh, as much as as some do but uh, just uh, having that information out there so even if somebody whether they reply back or they talk about it at least uh, when we are talking about this when we are putting this videos on youtube or or instagram uh, uh, you know uh, tiktok is banned in india otherwise we would love to uh, use because in the us i know it's very popular but all the other uh, you know social media channels but uh, if as uh, you know just putting these content out there because if you look at the quality of content that are that are there is available you know like if if uh, you'll see people uh, putting you know a water with spoon in the sanitary pad and then they're they're saying this is good and this is bad so we have to actually teach uh, you know the menstrual fluid is not water it's there is the way you design to change that you know we are actually taking a stand and creating a lot of so like in our marketing team we have a lot of content creator that we are uh, recruiting so just creating engaging video content is is the first step then we can once we put the content out there then we can expect some discussion some conversation about the topic but at least somebody has to put things uh, the topics out in the open you know so it's like a very heavy uh, visual focused uh, video content that we are uh, going and both the founders pretty much hetal uh, and i are going to be just like how we are talking you know like we are going to be pumping out a lot of videos covering different topics and then we'll also invite gynex uh, like a different guest so a little a sneak peek into our <laughs> next two quarter marketing strategy for you Now you're talking my language. Like yeah. this is marketing. This is that's what I love. And yeah, we won't dive into what Bostic's marketing yeah. strategy is, but we're you know we try to do this similar stuff. And you know you mm-hmm. yeah obviously you you have the goal of running a business and and making mm-hmm. that business profitable. But sometimes that comes with educating the market on stuff that might not necessarily you know it, it's related to your business and there's benefits to educating people on it, but it's not necessarily related to the bottom line of of you know growing your business or making money. And now you're you're speaking my language now. That's that's <laughs> that's, that's good to hear. We're both uh, aligned, you know, on that. Uh... So I I didn't know that TikTok was banned in 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 India. I guess I had no idea. We we don't need to dive it's, into the specifics yeah. of it, but it's a legal government issues. But it's been a while. Yeah, it's oh okay. I had no idea. So, okay, well, yeah, I mean, then, then, yeah, that's a, I mean, Learn maybe not every day, right? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, as you said, and, you know, if you, you expand in the other markets, it's and then, then, uh, you know, a social media tool or, uh, you know, an education and content tool that you have to learn and, you know, and, and focus on, but yeah, the getting the logistics of marketing and stuff like that, but, <laughs> but I, I get sidetracked, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
So you touched on this a bit earlier when we talked about period poverty or, or you can call it menstrual inequity. And I, I mean, you know, I think when, for me, when I hear that, I, I kind of think of, okay, you know, maybe like Africa or India or developing nations. And, and it's, again, as with anything, it's not, it's not unique to those places. It's, you know, we have, we have it in, in the U.S. There's, you have it in Europe. So it's, it is a global issue, but speaking specifically about India, I'm curious if you could, you know, dive a little deeper on the issue of menstrual inequity, and and I'm sure it's very much related to to the education issue as well. Definitely, education, accessibility, and uh, affordability. So there are the, the two to three uh, areas that pretty much repeat themselves in in multiple categories as well. So when we look at period poverty and uh, young menstruators, young girls dropping out of school because they don't have access to uh, period product, you know, and then there is a recent survey by UNICEF that uh, around uh, 23% of uh, uh, young menstruators, they drop out of school because they don't have access to uh, sanitary pads. And uh, so we're talking about millions of of girls and women, you know, dropping out of school or missing work because they don't have access. And the interesting statistics is when uh, menstruators have access to these products, uh, there is 90% chance that these girls and women, they they won't drop out of school. So there is a direct correlation with accessibility and their ability to participate in school or or other activities, you know, so, and then when uh, it's a chain reaction that starts, you know, when a young girl misses schools, you know, she'll start dropping out of, you know, she won't be uh, able to have the equal opportunities as uh, other uh, classmates, right? So the chain reaction starts from, you know, not being able to finish their school, from that not being able to get a good job, and then the whole cycle of poverty. So it's a, it's a bigger problem, you know, that just because of uh, inability or, or uh, not having access to sanitary pads, it has a this long-term effect that uh, is still present and 23% is, is a big number that uh, we need to address. You know, we're talking about millions. Yeah, so, and, and you know, the, there is a lot of uh, NGOs and a lot of uh, initiatives that government is also doing as a young startup. We are also trying to do as much as we can. So we have a lot of uh, collaboration with NGOs where we donate, we donate products directly to the NGOs. We provide them at subsidized rates to uh, certain NGOs that we work uh, on, a, on a monthly basis. So at least uh, there are many NGOs that's like, okay, we want to do this on a, not just one-time uh, project, but just making sure that you're pretty much you're adopting uh, one for one uh, menstruator's period needs for the entire year or, you know, it's an ongoing thing. So we have uh, also, there's a lot of corporates that are, that are coming up now and this, like, we want to actually, you know, sort of like adopt this NGO or any uh, like 50, 60 menstruators that are there. We like, you know, whether you provide them at subsidized rate or where you just donate them, they also want to collaborate with us for those activities. So there is a lot of bridging the gap happening from corporate sector, from startups who as being a platform, as well as NGOs that are trying to, uh, uh, you know, make sure that the mentors have access to these products. And then there are uh, uh, companies that are willing to either donate them or even give them at a subsidized rate. So there's a lot of work that is happening, but not necessarily enough as much as we would like. But at least it's a start. Uh, and uh, again, as like with any other issues, you know, with awareness, there is a long way to go for these uh, to address these challenges as well. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's great to hear that that so many organizations, companies, NGOs are are working to combat this menstrual inequity, period poverty. But still, as I said, a long way to go. And you know, it's uh, some places have more ways to go than others. You know, we're starting to see countries, uh, Scotland in a recent announcement, oh, yeah, yeah. which is fantastic. You know, that's one country out of, you know, 
several dozen countries that that you know have have this one issue more, yeah uh, in india for example they they removed the gst or the tax on menstrual products uh, a couple of years ago so at least in that aspect uh, india is leading the the change you know because i, I i'm aware in, in many of the states in the us still there is tampon tax right so uh, yeah. at least uh, uh, in india that work has been done i i know many companies in the us are advocating for removing tampon tax from uh, you know a lot of states but so the, at least one part from the government uh, they're trying to do as much as they can that's great to hear. That's great to hear. As you said, it's it's a start. Still plenty of plenty of way to go, but it's it's a start, and you know that's how we're going to get there. Is those those baby steps. So, want to kind of wrap up here by asking you to maybe pull out your crystal ball, and you know, as as someone who has a vested interest in the industry, who but is also relatively new to to the industry and and the the menstrual health market. Tell us where you where you think it's going in the coming decade or two. All right. So I, I as I mentioned earlier as well, I, I do see a big shift in sustainable market. I mean, in one of the articles that I read, you know, from the uh, not just looking at the future, but also looking at the data from the past on which uh, we can, you know, uh, sort of build on is uh, like the natural products, uh, natural period product market is growing at around 40 percent uh, growth. And one of the articles I read in one once industry. So like we're looking at acceptance and uh, these, these are maybe particular in some geographic regions. But at least uh, uh, globally, I do see that the sustainable product market is going to grow exponentially, especially for the countries where the accessibility is still the issue. We will see slightly uh, a slower a shift into the transition uh, into sustainable products, but at least uh, in many countries where the accessibility, affordability are not really the, the biggest problem uh, that the menstruators are facing, there the sustainability is going to really be a strong trend in the purchasing decision of the menstruator. So at least in the next five to 10 years, I, I believe, especially in the Western countries and also to a, a small extent in India, we'll see a big shift in sustainable market. I foresee that too. That'd be my my prediction. I think we'll see, you know, as these, you know, more whether it be biodegradable, compostable, or just plant based or bio based pads um, and tampons, you know, become more popular. Those are going to grow, and certainly, you know, the, there are a lot of benefits to things like, as you mentioned earlier, the menstrual cups, the menstrual discs, you know, that are you kind of buy them and they last a year or more, and and even as you said, some of those like hybrid absorbent pads, we're seeing reusable underwear, reusable pads, seeing a lot of brands get a lot of attention, you know, particularly in the U.S. and Europe, but but in other places, as you mentioned as well, that, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I think for a while it was a trend. Now it's just the direction the market is mm-hmm. moving in. And there's still, as I said earlier, a place for, you know, fossil fuel-based, plastic-based products, but it's changing and and the, the market is moving that way. And at least from my perspective, I think the the menstrual health market compared to kind of the other two markets of baby care and adult incontinence, it's certainly moving the quickest. Um, mm-hmm. And you see brands like like Sparkle that that are are leading the way in that category. Um, and uh, it's definitely pushing the market that way and definitely also being driven by consumers. And I think as you see, or as these consumers come to expect you know, more environmentally friendly, sustainable products for their menstrual products. Once they move transition into that life phase of of having children, uh, and maybe down the line moving into the life phase of needing incontinence products, they're going to demand it there as well. And so, it kind of makes sense that you see this this happening in in menstrual hygiene and menstrual health products, period products. But you know, that I think that transition is going to carry into into diapers, baby diapers, baby products, as well as mm-hmm. the uh, the incontinence products. 
Definitely. It's a journey, you know, like it will involve, it will require all the industry players to, uh, you know, push for it. And um, there, there's many challenges and and, and everybody, and we are aware of it. Like everybody knows that, you know, it's not going to be like an overnight shift, you know, because we need to have enough infrastructure from raw materials point of view, the supplier's point of view, you know, to be able to actually make this product as affordable as, as possible as the, uh, and it will, it will take years, you know, to have the same or at least uh, a similar infrastructure in the supply chain as uh, a very well established the fossil fuel based supply chain. So it's a journey, but uh, at least it's a first step. So being optimistic here. Yeah. <laughs> as you should, as you should. I mean, the evidence would suggest that you're absolutely right, but it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's not something that we're going to be there in a year or two. It's going to be a little while, but we're progressing. And I've said this with other guests, like that's all we can do, you know, that we we're pushing forward. So it's, it's great. So that was all I had. Trag, I, I really appreciate you, you coming on, taking the time to kind of show us what you've learned in, in your time in the, the menstrual health market in India and some of the things that, that you're seeing happening and you are, you are pushing for, for, to change there. So thank you so much for your time. And yeah, we appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was it was great, great, great talking to you. So there you have it. From the last two episodes, you not only have a clearer picture of the menstrual health and period care market in India, but also better understand what challenges you might need to overcome in order to find success in this promising market. Attached to Hygiene is brought to you by Bostic and is hosted by me, Jack Hughes. It is produced and edited by me, with the help of Paul Andrews, Michelle Tonkovitz, Emery Chernus, and Nikki Ackerman at Green Onion Creative. Our theme music is by Jonathan Boyle. We'd like to extend a special thank you to our guest today, Chirag Varani. You can follow Chirag and his wife Hetzel on LinkedIn and follow Sparkle on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.